So last week we looked at 1.7. Let me remind you of the contents of 1.7. It read, All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them okay so we talked about scripture and its accessibility and its availability to all its content being absolutely clear to all on the issue of salvation the matters of salvation uh, and although some will be educated and uneducated some will be more intelligible and unintelligible in their abilities, so to speak, in terms of uh, reading and understanding the text itself. Um, by use of ordinary means, these things are accessible to all and available to all. Right? So we talked about some of those things and the importance of why the Bible uh, ought to be uh, available and accessible to all. And of course, last week we talked about the importance of pastor and congregation. Why? As a pastor, I would want you to have a Bible in your hand and uh, the ability to have private interpretation and why uh, and how that edifies one another, how that builds each other up, right? We talked about some of, that, some of those dynamics. Okay, let's read 1.8. So who's got it? And who would like to boldly read for us today? <clears throat> Mikey. The Old Testament in Hebrew, which was the native language of New Testament in Greek, which at the time of the writing of it was most generally known to the nations, being immediately inspired by God and by a singular care and providence, kept pure in all ages, are therefore authentical, so as in all controversies of religion, the church is finally to appeal unto them. But because these original tongues are not known to all the people of God who have right unto an interest in the scriptures, and are commanded in the fear of God to read and search them, Therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar, vulgar language of every nation unto which they come, that the word of God dwelling plentifully in all, they may worship him in an acceptable manner, and through patience and comfort of the scriptures may have hope. Thank you. Very long uh, paragraph in reading, uh, but it articulates to us, if last week 1.7 uh, talked and focused on the clarity of scripture, today we're talking about the texts and the translations, and where where it read, therefore they are to be translated into the vulgar language. That's uh, of course the historical text and the older English. In the modern version, uh, it is uh, read, um, therefore the scriptures are to be translated into the common language. So when we say vulgar, we typically think of like uh, bad words, like curse words, but that's not what it means. Uh, what it means is the common, the vernacular, the language of the times right the people of the times. so um there's a lot of content here and instead of me just standing up here and breaking it down for you i think this point is clear enough where you can kind of uh figure it out on your own what it means like i don't think there's any like mystery to what these things mean but i do think that there is uh in some important things you ought to be uh, understanding in this paragraph we just read in regards to text and translations and in regards to and, and I guess really building on what we talked about last week okay so on that note in your groups this is your assignment 
you'll be discussing the content of 1.8 and uh, specifically what you'll be trying to extract from this uh, paragraph is uh, from sentence to sentence what are what, what are the main points that you see in this paragraph so we're just looking for main points in the paragraph and uh, as a group maybe one person can write it down and take note of those things in bullet point form and uh, and then afterwards each group will have a chance to share what those main points are those main points could be just like information like this is what it ought to be or it could be like practical things Christians can apply right so applications and or uh, like points of information so try to uh, read the paragraph again together as a group and then just in bullet point form list what you see as the uh, main points that the divines are trying to teach us in 1.8 so i'll give you a bit of time to do that and then when everyone seems to be wrapping up uh we'll just take some time to share okay so in your groups first start with maybe reading it together one more time and then start discussing what you think the main points are so i'll give you some time to do that Okay, we are now going to reconvene and uh, discuss some of the main points that we drew from the text today. Okay, which group would like to have the honors of going first? Alright, Jess's group. We just want main, main bullet points. Um, go for it. Nice, nice, loud and clear for all to hear. First sentence, main bullet points. Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek, and this was inspired by God mm -hmm. and preserved by Him. And so we can look back to the scripture in times of when controversies arise. And second sentence, but not everybody understands the original language, and so it should be translated so people can understand and be able to worship God, and also because we are commanded to also read and study the scripture. Okay, got it. Okay, good points. So we got three pretty clear points there. Next group. Who'd like to go second? You're all eventually going to go, so... Okay. The Lord has willed for you to go. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Loud and clear for all.
The interpretation is influenced by the translation. Okay? Anything else? Okay. Seeing how it's consistent in that they're still talking about the same God with the same character mm -hmm. um, and with the same struggles that we deal with as Christians, we trust that like, because of His Holy Spirit's work in that union of understanding one thought, we can trust that Holy Spirit can work in us throughout the generations, throughout the translation, and that He will remind us of the truth that we are um, like straying away from time to time. Another thing that we like noticed too was that, um, like, when they were talking about like the controversies, of, controversies of different religions, how we are to respond as a church is to, you know, rely, like, go back to scriptures and try to help explain scripture for what it is in ways for that them to understand. You know, because yeah. I brought that up because, you know, it's very contrasting of how, like, like a lot of us were to respond when we confront, like, different friends from a different religion or friends that are in the same religion but are understanding it in a different way. You know, very rarely we, we go to scripture and try to explain scripture for what it is in ways that they can understand. Instead, we'll just, like, respond in different ways that they like, oh, respond in ways that might sound pleasing to them, like, whatever it might be. Um, but that's how we are to respond as a church. Right. <coughs> and that is... Is that derived from the reading of 1.8? Or is that like just... Yeah, a, from the reading of 1.8. Okay. Next group. <laughs> okay. Us? Yes. <laughs> Alright, so... Uh, a couple points that kind of stood out in our, our gentleman's group here, <laughs> uh, is the latter, uh, latter section, I should say, uh, eight, uh, it says, therefore, they are to be translated into the vulgar language of every nation, unto which they come, at the word of God, to independently in all that they worship Him and accept So, the word, Vulgar, as you mentioned, it's a original language. Is that the right? Common language. Common language. Yep. So we thought that, like, although Old Testament is in Hebrew and New Testament is in, in Greek, it's for all people. It's for, I guess you could say, uh, people who do not speak those languages as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that it's interesting how, so that they can know the truth. Um, just the verb. I think Matthew uh, 5.18 says so that people who do not know the word of God into the dawn it mentions something about dawn right so okay anyway uh, going back to uh, Romans 15.4 uh, it also mentions about how the scriptures has been in for our instruction mm -hmm. so that you know we might have of these things, right? So, mm -hmm. 
obviously meaning that it's not uh, just for the people who know Hebrew or Greek. It should be for all of us uh, yep. so that we can come to know the truth, praise God, and be inspired by God and be kind of, um, I guess, inspired by God to praise and give thanks uh, and to partake in the same truth or the word of God that's what so uh, like the translation serves that purpose like translating the scriptures serves that serves that purpose right is that what is that what you're saying no the purpose I guess the purpose of the scriptures is to know God Right, but like the translation of it from the original languages serves the purpose of allowing everyone to partake well, helps, in that. It helps the reader, right? Yeah, it helps absolutely. The to uh, know the truth, right? Because yes. I don't know Spanish. Like, if there's only Spanish, the Bible's not know the truth of God, right? So I don't know I Spanish. Say, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm saying, like, there's so many different people in the world. That's true. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Okay, last group. All right, I just got this. Seven points. It's a biblical number. It's a very per- the number of Jewish perfection. Seven points. Okay, let's go. Yes. Yes. Uh, number three, God kept these original texts pure in all ages in his care and providence. Yes. Number four, um, the church is to, I guess in all matters, uh, finally appeal to these texts. They have final authority in all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five, uh, the people of God should and have the right to read and search the scriptures. Okay, thank you. I have two questions. I'm going to ask the first one and then a follow-up. Number one, everyone, or I think everyone understands the main point of this. The Old Testament and, and the New Testament written in the Hebrew and the Greek, right? Parts Aramaic, whatever. So Hebrew, Greek. The Hebrew Old Testament is directly inspired by God. Like the Spirit works to pen it, right? Same with the New Testament. Holy Spirit inspires god breathed scripture so when we say scripture is inerrant and infallible as ivy just mentioned we are referencing the old testament in hebrew and the new testament in greek is your english bible inerrant and infallible yes yes So the Bible you have in your hand in English, in the modern English, okay? I don't care about translation. We'll talk about translation after this. But just in any language. So if you grew up in a Korean church, you have a Korean Bible or like a Mandarin Bible or you have a German Bible or you have other languages, right? That are not the original, inerrant, infallible, inspired language 
Bibles, the Old and New Testament, is your English translation of the Hebrew and Greek inerrant and infallible? The answer is yes. No, you've got to defend that. Because I'm not saying the answer is yes. I'm just saying your answer is yes. You must defend it. Your answer it. is not yes. I'll tell you my answer at the end. <laughs> I think it's yes. So, basically, like, this is, the, this, is the, this is the Holy Bible, right? This is the Holy Bible, yes. So, like, I believe. You believe. Like, even if this, like, printing company, like, Sondervan. Yeah. Yeah. Made a mistake. Yeah. I believe the Holy Spirit will, like, change it. So by the time it gets to my brain, like, it's like the Word of God. Sure. The interpretation <laughs> is the illumination of the Spirit giving you the, the actual uh, proper interpretation of text. So by the time it gets to my heart, it's like... It's like sure, but, it's I'm like asking, but I'm asking, is your English Bible inerrant and infallible, Ivy? Very good point. Richard. Yeah, it makes sense because, like, in the early period, there was no photocopy machines. So people are doing it by hand. Yes. And if you look at the Greek version of manuscripts, there are differences. Yes. Although they are of, like, really trivial matter differences. Honestly, yes. Resurrection. All of them say, but 99.5%, 99.9% they Correct. They're going to make copies and translators are going to make mistakes. We're human. For sure. Ashley. Alex? Is Richard inerrant and infallible? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go ahead, Alex. Yes. Yes. Okay. Sure. Anyone else? Any thoughts on this question? Is your English translation or any other modern language translation inerrant and infallible? Because that's what we believe here at this church. The inerrancy of scripture, the infallibility of scripture. God's holy word, right? But when we say God's word or his holy scriptures, are we talking about all translations of the Bible or only the Hebrew and the Greek? All translations. All translations? Then I'll have a, I have a follow-up question to you because I knew there, were people, there would be people who say yes. Why are there so many translations? Because one of them's got to be one of them's got to be right then, and the rest have to be wrong. No, but, but that's like the, the Muslim argument. We have like, Christianity is wrong because there's so many different like ESV and ESV. There's so many things. Yeah. I think it's the the vulgar language, like 1900s language, is different than 2000. 
Sure, but if it was just simply the development of the English language that contributes to the updated English Bible, there should still be a singular English Bible that is used by all, right? And it just is the English of the times, right? So there should be a KJV and then a new KJV and then a newer KJV, right? Um, but what we have instead is the CSB, the NLT, the NASB, the NASB 95, the NASB 2020. We have the NIV, we have the NIV 2011, we have the NIV 2022. We have all of these translations, right? Like, why? Uh, Alex, you had a point, yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think with having so many translations, that's just the extent of God's love for us. Mm-hmm. Because uh, our way of accepting patience and potentially gaining hope. Um, yes. Some translations may succeed in doing that, and some translations might fail. So, would you say that the English translations are inerrant and infallible? That's, I don't think that's what that statement would indicate or imply. Uh, it's not limiting. It's a means by which God could extend His loving grace upon us. One of an infinite, really, number of ways that God could allow and have providence over. Just because He chooses a certain method to do something doesn't mean He's limited to that method. So to answer your question, it is inerrant and infallible. Your English translation of the Bible. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do a quick survey. Hands up, yes, go. Your English Bible is inerrant and infallible. Hands up. One. The translation. The tra- English translation of Scripture is inerrant and infallible. Translation, no. Wait, why are you, why are you flip-flopping? <laughs> are you saying that is every translation Yeah. Yeah. Every translation of the English into the English and any other language other than the Hebrew or Greek. Just the word of God. Each any thoughts? Any thoughts? Any thoughts? Yeah, Sasha? Oh. Yes. Sure. Sure, right. And just because we say the English translation, let's say we were to take the position that the English translation is errant and fallible, it does not mean that it is insufficient, right? 
uh, in conveying the truths of the original Hebrew and Greek. Uh, Richard, you had a hand up? Or? Yeah, like, I think it's important that, you know, we can copy the same as the Jewish Bible. Here's the word Yes. Right? We need to be able to learn that. But, you know, there should be nuances that are not because, like, even in the footnotes, like, oh, some manuscripts say this. Yes. Like, you know, both of these contradictions can't be true at the same time. So, um, the originals are inerrant and fallible, and because the Greek manuscripts are so in alignment yeah. And then the disagreements are like in Greek it's word order and the ending of words. Like word yes. order doesn't matter in Greek, right? So some yeah. manuscripts have different word order, yeah. but the meaning is exactly the same. So I yes. think we, we have to be able to say that this is the word of because it is, right? Right. And just because we say it is, we would say the English translation or any translation is not inerrant and yeah. not infallible, does not mean we are saying that it is not the word of God. Right? Like, That's not where we're not equating those two things, Mikey. Because, like, what I'm thinking too is like, so even the original manuscripts, right? Yeah. In Greek and in Hebrew. Yeah. Like, um, it's the word of God, like, for sure. But it's also like a human language. It is a human language. So, my thinking is like, you can't have the perfect expression of God and the perfect understanding, like, limited to human, like, grammar. Um, okay. I remember, like, um, like this Christian apologist was saying how, in contrast, Muslims believe that the original Quran written in Arabic yep. is the perfect expression of Allah. Yeah. Like literally without error. Right. It hasn't Every, changed from its inspiration to Muhammad to now. Yeah. That's yep. it. Like, there's no modifications. But yep. they also believe the original text itself, which mm -hmm. hasn't been modified, is yep. the perfect expression of Allah. Like it just. Yeah. It is the direct words of Allah. So, like, word that I don't believe, right? Like, I don't understand how... Well, first of all... Sure, I, but I again, we're, we're confusing categories here. We're not saying... Like, if you were to take the position that translations are, are errant and fallible, you are not taking the position that your English Bible is therefore invalid as the Word of God. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, this is where we, like, as our human minds and sometimes our young Reformed minds... We like to jump to certain conclusions because we get familiar with so, some terminology. And then as, you, as soon as you hear something that challenges that, like all of a sudden it's like, whoa. But this is really important. The reason I, I'm really grilling you on this is because you have to understand this very, very particularly. When you say your English translation is inerrant and infallible. So those of you who said yes, not to pick on you, but I will pick on you. You are saying that the translator he, she, and all those people who worked on that translation, your ESV or your NIV or whatever, those people were inspired by the Spirit to translate the Hebrew and Greek. That's what you're saying. Okay, that is what you're saying when you say your English Bible is inerrant and infallible in its translation of the original inspired texts. What are the divines saying? Yeah. That is exactly what they're saying. Look at the wording of it. This is, this is why reading carefully is important, guys. Look, they say the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek, being directly inspired by God. They do not include translation. By this time, there is English translation of the Bible. They do not include the modern language of their time as being part of direct inspiration of word of as word of God. 
they only include two things, the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament. By his unique care and providence kept pure those particular texts in its wording for all ages. And they are therefore the authority of the church, right? Listen, then read on. But because these original languages are not understood by all the people of God, we have translations, right? So that we can learn all of these things in the common language. But what are we supposed to do when there is dispute? We appeal to what? What do we appeal to? Yes, we appeal to the original languages. Are you reading 1.8 a little bit differently now? So then what is... What are the divines saying then? What, what would that mean for you? If, if they were to say like, look, the Greek and uh, the Greek New Testament, the, uh, the Hebrew Old Testament are the authoritative, directly inspired word of God, nothing else. You have your translations. You have the right to have a translation. It is good to have translations so that you can have access to the information of, uh, of those original languages because you don't read Greek or Hebrew. You don't understand it, right? So now you have it in your language, you can read it, you can understand it, comprehend its truth and its content. That gives you a general and even specific idea of what's contained within the text. But when there's dispute on certain verses, where do we appeal? We have the authoritative word of God, that being the Greek New Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament. Mikey, you had a question. Yeah, I think I'm talking about something slightly different. So like, let's Mm -hmm. say you have the original manuscript. Yeah. not just an ancient like scripture, but like the original copy, right? That, like, like the like let's first say, the edition, that, like, the, that first oh, well. edition. Yeah. Sure. Like I know it's probably like gone. But, like, it is gone. Yeah. Yeah. So what we have are copies of copies, essentially, right? Yes. And so let's say you have the first edition copy written by Paul himself, like inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Um, so that original copy, right, which is written in Greek. Yep. Like, do do we believe? Do Reformed theologians believe that? It is like the perfect expression of God. Because no. my thing is like, it, it's written in a human language. So what do you like, mean by expression? So like, let's say it describes God with like Greek words, right? Yeah. Um, are there certain words that would describe him better? Or even if Paul chose like the perfect wording for each sentence, is that the perfect revelation and expression of who God truly is? It's perfect because it's the method by which God chose to reveal himself. Right? That's what we learned about the Holy Scripture. But the Holy Scripture, by God's inspiration, He chose to reveal Himself right, right, to right. us by means of the words that are recorded for us. Whether it is or not perfect in this essence of like, it is the 100% maximal expression of who God is, yeah. we cannot fathom or know because we have no other grammar or language to even right. equate like it to. Got, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, but to say it's the best we got is doing, I think, a disservice to what God has provided for you. Right? It's not like God has prepared you this amazing thing and you're going, oh, this is the best you can do because you're limited by like what I can understand. Because what I'm saying <laughs> is like, like, yeah. no, cause like, so like, let's say you read the Bible from start to finish, right? Yeah. Um, so you have a certain understanding of God yeah. right, based on what the Bible says. Yeah. Um, and then like, you die and you go to heaven. Yeah. Right? Like, I think there will be, like, I don't know about, like... 100%, of course, no. Yeah, 100%, but that's not what we're debating in this particular point, nor is it related to 
um, like what we're even talking about, like the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture, yeah. right? So it's when, translation and original. When one point says one point eight says like yeah. the um, like original manuscript that's written in Hebrew and Greek, right? Yeah. So like the earliest editions we have are from like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are still not the original. even earlier for some books. Yeah. Which, but those aren't the like the original copies are just basically not here. Originals, the original uh, artifacts do not exist. So they are, are like they were written on parchment, which degraded, and they don't exist right, anymore. Right, right. Yeah. So are the earliest copies that we have, yeah, right, which are like I guess the most authentic because it dates back the earliest. Like are those? Because like I remember a, like I know he has a lot of like shade on right now, but Ravi was saying how the New Testament is like ninety nine, like the the, the the versions that we have now are ninety nine point nine 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 nine, like perfect. Yeah. Um, when you compared to like the original manuscripts right well we can't compare to the original so not the original yeah, but, like yeah. the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever right? the earliest ones the earliest versions yeah. we have but even those earlier versions that are written in Greek and Hebrew yeah like are they one to one like copied for every single word with the first editions no that's why we can trace back we actually number all of these manuscripts and we create family trees of all of these manuscripts. And so we can actually trace back by era, like when it was written, and thus dictating like which are the earliest and which are the latest. Yeah. And then once we categorize those things by date and grouping, because we can tell, okay, this person made this mistake here, and then there's like a hundred something like manuscripts after that that followed this one scribe, and thus all of these are messed up. So we just eliminate those. Yeah. And you would think, what? We eliminate like a hundred like manuscripts? Isn't that like really detrimental to us? No, because we have tens of thousands of other ones that are perfectly kept. So we can actually dictate just by the process of elimination all the ones that are corrupted by mistakes that scribes made. Yeah. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> yes. Perfect question, because that was Aaron's question that he prepared for this week. You stole his fire. But okay, uh, let's go to Richard. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's important um, that there are differences in the Greek manuscripts that we have, but it's that um, paragraph where it says, by God, Providence is here. So when you're kind of like, oh, like, is this one of the very, you're reading a verse and you're like, oh, is this like the correct variation? Is it not? Right? You still have to remember, like, God's still in control of the entire process of reading the English Bible. Yes. There, there is an element of faith in God's providence. Absolutely. Right. And so this is uh, to, to just get back to the original question. Is your English translation inerrant and infallible? I would emphatically tell you no. So when this church says the holy scriptures are inerrant and infallible, we are specifically talking about the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. Your English translations are most definitely fallible in error, right? In the translation philosophy and process of that, which gets to the second question of, I guess it's Aaron and Joy's question now. Why do so many English translations exist then? Any thoughts? <laughs> Capitalism. Absolutely. There is revenue to be generated and people will take advantage for sure. Everyone have, who has a Schuyler Bible, look at your Bible right now. 
um, you just contributed to capitalism. All right. Um, and the death of a goat. Um, so, like, why? Why do we have so many English translations? Our uh, Thursday Bible study group, we talked about this. One of you, maybe you can just give a quick answer or thought on this. So we did talk about it. Why do so many translations exist? So this is what I'll try to... I'll give you an analogy because I think it'll help you comprehend what's going on. The people who are translating our, uh, our English Bible or like who have translated the Bible to English for us uh, throughout time um, had different philosophies in translating those original languages, right? Some Bibles don't even translate from the original language. So if you have a Bible that doesn't... But first of all, in your Bible, in the very beginning, it gives you the translation philosophy of your version... So look at that and see, uh, am I okay with this, right? So when you have a chance this week, look at that. But all of your Bibles will have that. They'll tell you these words were translated this way because of this reason and this, this way because of that reason, etc., etc., etc. Okay, but beyond that, um, translation as, uh, as a process, right, in anything we do, uh, it can come out differently depending on the person that is translated, right? So... And it's also appropriated to the audience itself. So, for example, uh, when our, like when you go, have you guys ever been in like those joint KMEM services, and they always try to translate for you because they think that's sufficient? Um, would you say that's sufficient? <laughs> no, right? But what if there's an like amazing translator, right? Yeah, let's say you have like three, four amazing translators of Korean to English, right? Are they all gonna come up with the exact same thing? You're going to have one dude who goes, okay, here's a joke in Korean. I got to translate this word for word so that nothing gets lost. It gets lost, okay? Because you're hearing it in English and you're going, well, that's not funny at all. I don't understand like, why that's funny. And then you have another dude who goes, okay, they're not going to get this. So let me make sure that this is translated in a way, in a manner in which this person can understand. So they switch the wording of the actual, they don't go word for word, but they get capture the nuance of it and make sure that that is conveyed to you, right? You might have another person who goes, well, I don't wanna go like too crazy off board, but like, I wanna stay within the realm. But this joke really is, is does, it's not relevant to these people. Like this doesn't make sense. So let me give them an, uh, a counter like example like that, that would share and express the same idea, but is a little bit different, right? And so you might have different thoughts and opinions in that translation process. That's not what's going on in your word for translations, but in translation, in translating anything from in human language to another human language, uh, the translator makes decisions. They make decisions 
on how to translate certain phrases, right? Um, and so certain translators will give you a little bit more interpretation than others, and others will give you different nuances compared to others, right? And that's why I think, I mean, this is like putting it in a very, very simple form for you, but they're making calls on certain areas of the original text that allow you to understand and comprehend the text itself. And I think, you know, people say it is, like Muslims would say, it is a weakness that we have multiple English translations. I would say it's a strength. It's a strength because we can compare. You're not limited to reading the ESV. You can go to the ESV, read the NIV, read the NASB. When I prepare a Sunday on sermon, I'm reading four translations minimum. Why? Because I don't, I don't trust. If, if I, what I just told you right now, the English translations are errant and infallible, that I have to... I have to read multiple of them. Not only am I going back to the Greek and Hebrew to make sure that these translations are done properly and I'm understanding and capturing certain words, right, that are found within the text that I want to make sure like, oh, why did the NASB translator translate this this way? And why did the NIV translate it this way? I'm going back to the text and figuring out, well, what is that Greek word and why is it understood differently by these two people? And then you've, you unlock this amazing thing. And you're like, whoa, okay, wait, this word actually contains this thing, and I can actually express that now to my congregation. Translation is an art in itself, and some people do it well, some people do it poorly, but the translators that are translating our English Bible, they do it well. But that collective group of editors and translators are making a call when they translate your Bible. This is why I don't want you to walk around and say, my English Bible, this particular translation is inerrant and infallible. You have to be careful in saying that. You've got to say, this is God's word. I have faith and trust that providentially God has put care in this to put this together and preserve it in a certain way, in a light that allows me to understand. But it is not inerrant. It is not infallible in this particular translation. But in the Hebrew and Greek, it is. Does that make sense? That's really, really key, right? The translations also exist, Aaron, for two really practical reasons. Our human vernacular changes over time, right? Like, no one said jish until Mikey showed up at this church, <laughs> right? Um, human language changes. The same language changes over time, right? So the Korean Bible, for example, recently got updated about five years ago, right? So that happens, right? If you read my grandmother's Bible, it's like archaic. I have no idea what it says, right? There's literally like Chinese characters and I don't know what, like, I, I don't know why. Like, I don't know like, how do she- Do they have their NIV or is that English? Sorry? Like, what's the Korean NIV? Is it just Korean NIV? So there is no Korean NIV. It's a Korean translation. <laughs> what's their- Hanguk Kejong, like something, something, something. No way. Yeah. There's like a modern, an older, and then like a super older. And then there's like modern translations. There's like two or three. Yo, they should make seminaries too. Yeah, like just learn like K-A-S Okay, anyways um, So So there's that Language itself changes over time So the like for example Aria brings her KJV on Thursdays And when we listen to it, we're like, whoa, what is that, right? Uh, but that in and of itself At the time was the English That was spoken, so it was translated that way Now there's a new King James Version Because there's obviously a need to update those things um, so there's that, that practical reason. The other practical reason, and this is really important, is we're just finding more manuscripts that are validating certain things and correcting things that we had incorrect understanding of. For example, in your Bibles right now, turn to Mark 16. Mark 16. 
Read the end of Mark 16, right before the last chapter. What does it say? That's correct. What does it say? You'd be like, whoa. Yeah, there's a little header before that last chapter. Or at least part of that last chapter. Right, you could also go to the story of John 8, right? Uh, I believe it was like the promiscuous woman who was like being stoned and Jesus like point, like drawing something on the ground, all that stuff. Like that's not found. I've heard so many sermons on that text only later to find out like we really shouldn't be preaching on that text, right? Um, stuff like that, right? We find these particular things and these nuances over time as we discover, our, as our understanding of like literary science and the manuscript science advances and we're we're getting better at translating and we're understanding scripture uh better and better right and so the limit of like william tyndall when he translated the first right when he first translated the scripture from hebrew and greek into english he didn't have the wealth of those manuscripts and the wealth of this understanding and this collective science that we have today wait does that mean like greek christians like understand the bible very good question like greek christians today yeah see that's uh no, because the Greek that is spoken today is modern Greek. It's not biblical Greek. Oh, like people who speak biblical Greek. No one speaks <laughs> biblical Greek today. John MacArthur does not. John MacArthur does not speak biblical Greek. Los Angeles, California. You're telling me he doesn't. He 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 does not speak biblical Greek. No one's no one speaks biblical Hebrew either. If that's a secondary question. You know how biblical Greek sounds like. How it sounds? Like, it sounds like modern Greek. It's just the uh, there's obviously like differences in wording and stuff. Is it like chundemar and like pamar? No. Like no, no. It is not honorifics. It's not honorific. Wait, that's not even honorifics. That's just. <laughs> not necessarily, but similar. Um, but old. Yeah, but. Very similar to Old and New English, right? So the Old English, you probably wouldn't even recognize as English. You would think it's like some like crazy language, but it's English, right? Um, but yeah, those are some practical reasons that, translation, um, that translations exist. And translations keep getting modified and updated. And this is why it's important for us to say, if someone criticizes us and says... Well, if the God, word of God is inerrant and infallible, why do you guys keep updating it, right? Be like, because the English is not infallible and inerrant. The Greek and Hebrew are. No one updates that. People copy that. <laughs> like, nobody updates that, right? We preserve it and we copy it, but we don't modify the language of the original text. But it text. doesn't exist. How can you preserve it? It does exist. We have tens of tens and tens of thousands of the Greek and Hebrew. The original, the original one that Paul wrote to the Corinthians does not exist. But that is the infallible one. Yeah. No, 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 no. Okay, this is a good question. Wait, this is a fantastic question. No, that is a fantastic question. That is a fantastic question. That's a fantastic one. Yeah. It's a copy of a copy of a copy. No, the original one is the original one. No, the original one is the biblical Greek one. The like the reference have. to the Greek yeah, New Testament yeah, yeah. when I talk about that yeah. is the original but the only physical copies of the original we have are manuscripts. They, we have copies. Yeah. That is, 
copies are not copies are not infallible. Not infallible. So we're basing it off the infallible. No, we are saying okay, but this is okay. This is a really important question because I thought our minds would go this way. We are not saying, right? When we say the word of God in Greek and Hebrew are infallible and errant, talking about the physical cop, like the physical thing, like the physical parchment and the ink that is on there. That is not what we're talking about. This is why our modern minds, like we, we tend to think this way because we're, when I say this, I knew someone would point to no, the parchment itself. The but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the wording preserved, God's word preserved. We're not talking about the parchment, the ink on that parchment. Like the actual physical copies are irrelevant to this conversation. When we say... Sorry? The original Bible, Old and New Testament, in its record, in Hebrew and in Greek, the wording that was inspired to those authors is what we're talking about. We're not talking about the physical, actual, like, tangible thing that can be possessed in our hands. That is not what we're talking about. Right, the but the original. document itself is not what's inerrant or infallible, yeah, like so the paper and ink. Yeah. Physical doesn't matter. No, so let's say the second guy, <laughs> control copied it wrong. I'll answer that question. No, that's a good question. That's a no, 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 no. You're not being stupid. Wait, wait, you sound your wait, you sound like you're being your typical Mikey self, but that's a good question. Yeah. So, so David, Second uh, Peter one twenty, no prophecy of scripture is of any private origin. For prophecy never came by the will of man. Yes. The holy men of God spoke being carried by the Holy Spirit. So when the when the Moses and Paul first wrote, yeah. they were carried by the Holy Spirit. And what they wrote was directly from the Holy Spirit was telling them to write exactly what they wrote. Yeah. So that's inerrant and fallible. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree with that. Yeah. We have copies, yeah. something called textual criticism. The copies of that. Yeah, we have copies. Those are not inerrant. Those are not inerrant or infallible. Scholars compare all the copies to try to find what the original Yes. I just said, like, there are mistakes that were eliminated. They agree so much that we pretty much have the original. Yeah. Yeah, the copies are not not inerrant, for sure. But... The scholars, when they compare yes. Yes. No, this is this is a good question because I thought our minds would go this way. That like, oh, you're saying that like our copies of the Greek and Old Test, uh, Greek te- New Testament, the Old uh, Hebrew Old Testament are what is infallible and, and inerrant. That's not what we're saying. Even the copies are inerrant and infallible of the original languages. However, the content that is found within, like the actual wording of those things, that is God's word. That's what we're referencing when we say God's word is inerrant and so infallible. So when we reference that, you guys, you mentioned that because ESV can have a beef with like NASB. If they have... Uh, I don't know if they'll have beef, but sure, okay, yeah. If they have like quarrels or arguments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disagreements. Disagreements, yeah. And we have to uh, reference back to the Greek. I yes, think, appeal I've, to the Greek and then... I've seen apologetics for this a lot. Sure. So the Greek writing, yep. that is not infallible? That, that is, infallible. is infallible and inerrant, but not not the actual physical yep. manuscript or the original artifact itself. But the content is... The content is what is inerrant and infallible, as preserved by God's 
grace, mercy, and providence. So, we believe the content of the copies are one-to-one with Paul's first edition. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is, we believe it is as close as, it, we believe that it is as God providentially preserved and cared for to preserve for us uh, as we require insufficiency to understand salvation and grace. When you say content, are you talking about, oh, oh like, Jesus died, he resurrected. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in it shall not perish by eternal life, but in Greek. That's God's word. Yeah. Not the actual, like, this. Like, oh, this is inerrant, infallible. Yeah, yeah. Like, ever. Like, like, ever, yeah. The content. Because, like, yeah. ESV, NASV, the content is the same. You can just say that. Better. The content is the uh, same. The content of its teaching, yes. It's, yeah, exactly. it's, what it's appealing to is also the same. So, yes. It's appealing to the inerrant word of God. Okay. Yeah. So, are we saying that, okay, if we're talking about the very first copy that Paul wrote. Yeah. If there were mistakes in the in the copies, it was there, all, there, oh, in the copies that followed. Yeah. Yeah. Like the written copies that followed, it was in God's providence to give us those mistakes. Yeah. No, those mistakes so wait, have been those we, mistakes have been like so pretty we much don't eliminated. Have an inerrant copy of the Bible. Uh. In Greek or in Hebrew, like anywhere. There's no. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we don't have. Yeah, yeah. We don't have the original, any of those 66 books, the original so when, penned copies. When this is saying, like, yeah. we're supposed to appeal to... The Greek and New Testament, or Greek New Testament, Old uh, Hebrew Old Testament. It's still possible that there are errors. It is not possible. That's how the science of it works, yes. Okay, even then, good question. Even then we can figure it out. We can figure it out because God providentially actually allowed for all of those copies to be discovered by tree. And then all of the original copy, even if it was two out of three that were, uh, were an error, that one that was correct produced more manuscripts. And we understand it to be a certain way. So the very... So the very first one that Paul wrote, Paul wrote. There, there, sure, some people might have made mistakes, like when they when it came to copying it down. But through God's providence, those were all eliminated. 
No, we can eliminate it from the equation because like, we can trace it back to its original, like where it originally so was, an error Hebrew, was occurred. The Hebrew and Greek copy of the Bible, that's, that's exactly what was written by the original authors? As we know it, yeah, today. As far as we know today. So the Hebrew and Greek version is still not inerrant, though. But I don't want you to think that way. Like, I know, like, our human minds want to keep going back to, I need a physical Greek and Hebrew ink on paper version that is inerrant and infallible. No, but you need to eliminate. No, but that is what you're saying. You need to eliminate that. It's not that. Our copies are irrelevant to the, the question that is at hand. The copies themselves are just copies of what we believe to be the inerrant and infallible Word of God. But the inerrant and infallible Word of God of Holy Scripture is God's inspiration upon men to pen uh, in Greek and in Hebrew the Old and New Testament. And the wording that has been preserved on happens to be on paper through ink is what we have as additions of those things. But when we talk to people and say God's word is inerrant and infallible, we are talking about his inspired word to these men who happen to pen it down. Yes, hundred percent. And like it, and it sounds crazy that it's ninety nine point nine 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 percent. But like it's literally ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Like it's literally punctuation differences, and as Richard mentioned, like variations on word, like uh, word order. But even those word, like as he mentioned, like word order in Greek really doesn't matter. And Hebrew developed punctuation later. Of the New or Old Testament? Like thousands, right? Like tens of thousands. Yeah. It is, the as I mentioned a few weeks ago, the most well-preserved historical text without... E- like, there would be, like... If there is a second place, it's, like, so far second place, it's, like, totally irrelevant. Like, historians would say of the Greco-Roman period, if you have, like, 50 manuscripts of a historical text of that time period, it would be considered, like, super well-preserved historically we have tens of thousands like of of like like the entire new testament right i remember my christian uh like english teacher said the same thing he was like um the bible is more like authentic and replicated like yeah. consistently like a hundred more times than like like homer or like plato or Shakespeare. yeah yeah all those and we have thousands of their copies right no we don't we have tens of those copies yeah. like homer's odyssey is 72 and that's considered like one of the greatest preserved texts yeah. in Greek. It's not even comparable. It's not comparable. It's like Usain Bolt and everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're irrelevant. Like who knows who came in second? Who won silver when Usain Bolt won gold? Yeah, it's irrelevant because he he was literally he was literally seconds behind. Like it was irrelevant. <laughs> it was like everyone was second basically, right? But does that? I know this is hard to like grasp, but just for clarity's sake, did that make sense? Make sense? Make sense? It's kind of, it is very difficult because, um, 
it is very difficult because we like to keep our minds centered on like a very tangible tangible source for our faith like we like to stay within paradigms or framework that makes sense for us but when we speak about these terms in our christian faith we have to be understanding of what we mean by these terms right because you could fall into great uh, error if you use these terms very loosely and unknowingly uh, it can trap you into uh, an improper way of thinking about these things. Any follow-up questions? Uh, no one is good so to clarify, like, the copies that were made, like technically they are like um, fallible, but like because there's like tens of thousands of copies and we see like there's like 99.9 .9 similarity, we can say that as like of what we know now, like, or like that it is inerrant and infallible? Yeah. Yeah, so what we would say, just to clarify, is that original thing that was written, the original copies of everything we have, is what is inerrant and infallible. The wording of those things, not the physical copy itself. It, it, it wouldn't matter if they wrote it, like carved it on a statue. It's, it's not the physical edition that matters or the tangibleness of it or what it is that matters it's the word of god inspired in someone to have then recorded it in whatever form or fashion and that is inerrant and infallible we then have all of these people who have preserved and really well preserved these copies and editions right if you think about how old the old testament is nothing has been preserved from that era like, there's no equivalent. There's no other text from that era that has been preserved to this degree over that time period. And then, of course, your question is, well, how, do, how can we trust the Old Testament if, we don't, if it's not as recent, right? Well, Jesus referenced the Old Testament. He read from the Old Testament. He constantly taught from the Old Testament. So if Jesus didn't have a problem with it, I think I'm pretty cool with that too, right? Right? So that in and of itself is that word, right? We can say, yeah, then if Jesus said the Old Testament as preserved by the time that he came 2,000 years ago, was the word of God, then we can say the first at least 39 books of, the, of our Bibles are clearly the word of God because Jesus is referencing and quoting from it. And then the New Testament being more recent, we have, of course, a lot greater wealth of manuscripts that point towards those original infallible and inerrant words, right? But as God has preserved, and this is where the faith component comes in, as God has preserved his word, and then has also providentially allowed um, the translation of it, he is essentially giving us his word. However, we would never say that the translations or the copy of those originals are in and of themselves inerrant or infallible for obvious reasons. Like a person is actually copying, a person is actually translating. And we have records of error. So, so if we were to say the manuscripts are inerrant and infallible, but then we have manuscripts that actually had errors, well, now we're just contradicting ourselves. Clear? This is very hard to comprehend. That's why I wanted you to talk about it in your groups. Anyways, very important thing. We've gone past her time, and uh, Hyoni is growing tired and weary of this lesson. <laughs>